Well, it is so good to be worshiping together as the body of believers. Amen? Amen. It is good to see you all. Well, we are going to be continuing in our series in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit in the church, the Holy Spirit in the church. And I'm super excited about this whole series. I'm sure you could probably tell uh, it has been such a blessing uh, to me to be able to read through the book of Acts and see what the church is supposed to be, who the bride of Christ is to be, and just encouraged to see how we can be on mission through the power of the Holy Spirit together. And as we've walked through our mission and vision, now we will see the, the energy or the battery, if you will, behind how we go about being who we are called to be. Well, let us pray and then we will open up God's word together. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed again that we could be gathered together. I thank you so much for your love. I know that I am personally not deserving of your love at all, yet you lavish it upon me. You lavish your love upon us. Jesus, I thank you for coming and dying on our behalf. I thank you that you have sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning, that your words will be proclaimed, that as we read the words that you have written, that we will understand through your Spirit the words that are to land in our hearts. May we be transformed and not just educated, but may this be a time where we are changed and we have an anticipation and an expectation of meeting you this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Now, I will never, ever, ever say that I am an art person. I do enjoy art. There are times where I like to look at art. There are moments where I even think I understand what the artist is doing in art, right? I'm more of a words guy than a pictures guy, so I consider that my art as I look at words. But when you look at art, some of it is just so beautiful and so wonderful. And and there are paintings that have come down through history, and they say that Michelangelo did this, and Leonardo did this, and these different paintings are from these famous painters. Now, I've always wondered, how do they know? Right? I mean, I know like maybe someone wrote their name on it. Now we have these folks that just write their names on it. But how do they really know and authenticate these images, these pictures, these portraits? Because recently I did a study. I was wondering, I'm curious, you know, Googling all these things. You can Google about anything or Bing or Yahoo, whatever you use. You can go to any search engine and try and find out anything that's happened in the world. And so I wondered, what, how do people know that there are specific uh, artists behind these paintings. And this, this story came up about a recent Leonardo da Vinci picture that has been discovered in the early 2000s. I mean, this wasn't that long ago. I know it's 2021, so it was like 21 years ago, which some of you have no idea what 21 years looks like. But, you know, this was 21 years ago when this was discovered, and it took years to authenticate. I want to show you this image really quickly. Those of you online, it'll come up on your screen. Uh, this is Leonardo da Vinci's painting titled Salvatore Mundi. And that means savior of the world in Latin. Salvatore Mundi. Now, I know it's a little bit stretched. It looks like a pudgy Jesus, uh, but it's, it's, it, trust me, it's a very beautiful painting uh, in general. 
And so they, they shared this story in this article of this painting that was rediscovered and the years that it took to authenticate. What are the markings of a Leonardo da Vinci? So I'm going to read it because I can't pretend like I'm some art guru. The, those markings to understand who wrote there, who painted this, are technique. First, you look at the technique of the painter. This is a Leonardo technique painting. He is this type of technique. Also, there's the iconography, which you look at the icon that was produced. You also look at the other works that are authenticated to be Leonardo's. And in fact, this particular drawing of Salvatore Mundi was found in one of his other drawings, one of his notebooks that was approved to be Leonardo's. They saw the sketch of this particular portrait and they never knew where it was. There's also the composition. What type of ink or in this case what type of pastel or what type of canvas was used what did they use to paint these specific things and some of you artists are probably cringing like he's not defining this really well but so I apologize but I'm trying to do my best here to share with you there are specific markings that show a specific artist there's stylistic elements and conceptual rendition and this was a concept that we see and you might not be able to see it he's Jesus is holding a crystal which is to symbolize the world this idea of the Savior of the world. All right, we can take that, that picture off, uh, off the screen. But the reality is, is there are specific markings for artists to figure out who did this painting. And I share that story not because I want to pretend like I know about art, but because when you look at the life of a believer, you and I are marked by the Holy Spirit. We are marked as believers. There are specific things in our lives that authenticate the reality that we are saved, that we have the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be looking at this new work that the Holy Spirit did in the church and what that does for us as believers. You see, the outpouring of the Spirit signified the start of something new. The outpouring of the Spirit signified the start of something new. The church began, and there were markings of the church that were marked by the Holy Spirit. Significant moments where we can look and say, wow, we know that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that God had saved them. We know that the Spirit of God was empowering them because of these markings in their lives. Now, as we look at this passage in Scripture, Acts chapter 2, as we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you look at that and you say, wow, that was a really great moment for the early church. But what does that mean for me today? What does that mean for us as the church today? What does that mean for me as an individual believer today? And I believe it's that we're going to see the marks of the Holy Spirit on the early church and that those markings should also be a part of our daily life, of our community life as the church. So the question that we're going to ask today is what are some markers of the Spirit's filling? If there are markers that authenticate us as believers, what are some of them? Now, we can't do an exhaustive of every single marker of the Holy Spirit from this passage because it doesn't allow us to do that. There are specific markers that we see in this passage, but there are more as we see in 1 Corinthians and we see throughout the epistles of Paul and the, other, uh, the, the rest of Scripture, there are different markings of the Holy Spirit, but we will see some of them here. So it's not exhaustive, but there are some markers of the Holy Spirit. And as we're looking at these, we need to say, okay, have I seen these in my life? Where, where have I not trusted God to show up in this area of indwelling and filling of my life? So Acts chapter 2, 
We'll look at verses 1 through 4, 15 through 21, 32 through 33, and then 38 through 39. So you can open up your scripture to Acts 2 if you want. It'll be on the screen for you as well. Those of you who are online, it'll also be here in the back. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 15, for these people are not drunk, they are as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which is 9 a.m., But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 32 through 33. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. This is verse 38. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, things change. When the Spirit of God came upon the early church, things changed. And I know that there's some disjointed nature of the different passages that I've read. So let me just briefly describe. After they were filled with the Holy Spirit, a crowd came. We don't know if it was because they heard the rushing wind or if they were outside already preaching and declaring the truth of the gospel. It doesn't matter. A crowd came and was listening to what they were saying about Jesus. And they heard it all in their own language. They were hearing what the prophets were saying through Joel and through Peter and through the disciples in their own language. And there would have been a ton of different languages at Pentecost during that time. And they were amazed and some of them began to make fun of the disciples and say, well, they must be drunk because this is craziness. This is so weird. Right? But there Peter says, no, no, no. We're not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. This is of God. God has done something incredible. There was something that began. There was a newness. The church was born. And so when we look at the markers of the church, what what are the markers of the Holy Spirit? Some of them. I believe the first one that we can see, the first marker is anointing. Because I believe that obedience brings blessing and anointing for mission. Obedience brings blessing and anointing for mission. We have to look back at last week in Acts 1.8 and we see in Luke 30, in, in, in the end of Luke where Jesus says to the disciples, wait for the promise. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. 
Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And then you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Remember, we talked about that last week. There's this waiting and we see that the disciples obeyed. They obeyed Jesus' command. They only had to wait 10 days, but they waited. And they didn't move or try to do mission at all. They obeyed and they trusted the Lord. It reminds me of that song when we're kids, if I just trust and obey, there's no other way, right? I'm sure many of you remember that from your own VBS time, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But obedience brings blessing and anointing for mission. They needed the Holy Spirit's anointing for mission. They could not have done it on their own. You and I cannot do what we're called to do on our own. Only the Holy Spirit can bring the blessing and the anointing that you and I need for mission. They waited in obedience and expectancy. Imagine 120 people gathered together for 10 days just waiting and praying, waiting and praying. And then boom, this mighty rushing wind shows up and all the things are changed. Everything is different. They are now anointed and blessed for ministry. It's only through their obedience that they were able to wait and they obeyed and they trusted the Lord. And the tongues of fire bring about the idea of, of, of the imagery of Isaiah 6. Remember where we talked about this not too long ago as we are to be a people of his presence. Where Isaiah was before the presence of God and the tongs came from the altar and touched his lips. And we saw the beauty of that moment where he was then anointed and then blessed to go forward and do that which he was called to do. In the Old Testament, we see the Spirit coming upon specific people, judges in the book of Judges and prophets, where the Spirit of God came upon them and anointed them and blessed them for the ministry with which they were called. At that point, because Christ had not yet died, only one person at a time could receive the power of the Spirit, the anointing and blessing of the Spirit. But here when Christ died and he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell and fill every single believer. And when we see this passage of Scripture, we must recognize that you and I have access to the same Holy Spirit that fell upon the church in that upper room. You and I have the same access to the power for mission, the blessing, and the anointing for mission that they had as well. And that is an encouraging thing. Because when I look at my own life, I know of my own inability and my own impossibility of me doing it on my own. Warren Wearsby reminds us of this idea because remember Jesus promised that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and so this is the imagery of being baptized as the fire comes upon them and anoints them and blesses them. Warren Wearsby says the Greek word baptizo, baptizo has two meanings, one literal and one figurative. The word literally means to submerge, to go under, to be fully submerged in water as we see in our baptisms. But the figurative meaning is to be identified with. The baptism of the Spirit is that act of God by which he identified believers with the exalted head of the church, Jesus Christ, and formed the spiritual body of Christ on earth. When we have the Holy Spirit descend upon us as the early church waited upon the Spirit's anointing and blessing and power, we are marked as believers. We are changed. 
And you've seen this in your own life as you have experienced Christ. If you are a believer, when Christ came upon you and you know that you were saved and the Spirit of God indwelt you, there was a change, a transformation in your heart where you said, man, things are totally different now. Things are totally different now. I remember uh, almost two Decembers ago now, Diane Stallman's testimony of how the Spirit of God grabbed her heart and completely changed her from the inside out. You see, that's what God does. That is who God is when we wait upon the Spirit of God. Now, we all have the indwelling Holy Spirit. When we receive Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within us, and that cannot be changed. But there are times where we can have deeper surrender, where we say, God, you know what? I need more of your Spirit. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. Because even though we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we often try to arrest control. When we wait upon the Lord and surrender and say, I I can't do it. I need you. And we wait as they did in the upper room. We are filled with the Holy Spirit and He empowers us to do that which He has called us. It's anointing. The second marker that we can see is the marker of fire. The Spirit-filled believer is on fire for mission. Wagner says it this way, Those familiar with the Old Testament knew well how fire was often used by God to give tangible evidence of His power, His presence, and His holiness. Think of the burning bush that Moses was in front of, the presence of God. Think of the pillar of fire, the presence of God, going before and behind Israel, guiding them and protecting them, the cloud by day and the fire by night. And the Spirit-filled believer is on fire for mission. It's not an accident that we see throughout Scripture, even in the Isaiah 6 passage that we talked about, that there was fire that came and cleansed Isaiah, that there is fire that comes and cleanses us. You might have seen some new believer when they've come to Christ, and he said, wow, they're really on fire for the Lord. It comes from this idea. This passage, that they are on fire for the Lord. There's just this fire within their bones. And we see even in Ezekiel that he tries to talk against. He doesn't want to do what God calls him to do, but he has a fire within his bones. He can't contain it. He has to go out. He has to move in his calling. You see, and as believers, when we are really allowing the Spirit of God full access, there will be a fire within our bones. There will be a desire to share Christ, to live Christ, to invite people into our fellowship and say, listen, my life was horrible before God, and now it's changed. I am a different person. I cannot contain what Christ has done. But too often we rest and we stop allowing the fire of the Spirit of God to burn within us with this passionate desire to share what Christ has done. It's even sad when older disciples say, oh, you know, I know you're burning for Jesus now, but there will come a day where things calm down a little bit. We should never say that. We should never be calmed down. I mean, if you know me, I'm hyper whether I have coffee or not right? I'm passionate about what Jesus has done in my life. I write about it. I talk about it. I can't stop. There are times where I do, and man, the Lord convicts me, and he's like, why are you being so lazy? Go talk about Jesus. Go in the community. Spend time with people. Listen, we're all going to fail. We're not always going to have that fire, but when we notice that it's dwindling, or when it's going down, or when the enemy's covering over it, we need to just say, God, I need your fire, I need to be back on fire for mission because my life, my life is not worth living without the passionate beauty of the gospel. I need to share the beauty of what you have done. 
We are called to share the gospel. I always love, and I point this out often, you are now entering your mission field. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be on mission. And it's only when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow his fire to burn within us that we can be on fire for Jesus. We have too many Christians who are allowing their lampstand to be dwindled a little bit, a little bit. I mean, again, we go back to our early VBS days where we said, this little light of mine, right? And we sing the song, I will not let Satan it out. But when we neglect the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're allowing it to get a little bit smaller. Man, we should sing that song to ourselves in the morning. This little light of mine. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit living within me, encouraging me to go forward, right? The purpose of fire for that song was to signify the Holy Spirit in our lives, Go back and read the genesis of that song. We won't let Satan it out. We won't let it be covered. But too often we've been satisfied with having a little bit of light when we could have a blazing fire in our lives. The disciples, they allowed that to happen. They waited in the upper room. And the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit, we see Jesus talks about John 16, 14. The main job of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Jesus says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit in our lives burns a fire for a passion to glorify the name of Jesus. Are we glorifying the name of Jesus Are we living lives that are on fire? When we notice that we're not on fire and we're not passionate and not excited about what Christ has done for us, then that should be a warning sign. Say, man, you need to get right with God. You need to surrender. You need to allow the fire of the Spirit to go back in your bones, to just light you up, right? Where you go out into the world and they're like, wow, you've got a really bright light. Something's going on. What, what's going on in your life? 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that when we put Christ in the center, when we allow this to happen, that people will ask questions. The Spirit-filled believer is on fire for mission. Ephesians 5.18 says that Paul encourages the church in Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. If you look at the book of Revelation, you see that, that the, the, the church in Ephesus was moving away from their first love. They were going after just truth, and they were missing the spirit that goes with the truth. They were going after one thing and missing the other. But we as believers are to have spirit and truth. He's saying you're walking away from the fire. You're going further and further away. You need to encourage yourselves to have both. That You need the spirit of God to be filling you consistently. And Paul was seeing this happen in their lives even then when he wrote the epistle and he said listen be filled with the holy spirit it's a continual process because you and i we often try to take control back and so we need to be continually pursuing the filling of the holy spirit saying god i surrender i need you to fill me less of me and more of you i've been taking over control i need to hand it back to you because believers are to continually seek the fire of the spirit's filling continually seek the fire of the Spirit's filling. I'm telling you, I have seen this to be so true in my own life. I have seen the necessity to continuously, as Romans 12 encourages us, die to myself, to be a living sacrifice where I say, God, I need you to use me. This life is about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. 
Now that we are saved, that new thing that God has begun is to use us as his missionaries into the world. You see, we talk about sending people overseas. We talk about people going overseas. But you and I, as believers, when we receive Jesus Christ, we're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. We're not just saved from hell. We're like, oh, now I'm safe. Woo, all right, I can just sit back and and just wait for the return of Jesus. Or, man, things are getting a little bit rough. I'm just going to go to the hills and just, just tuck in there with my generator and all my canned food for years and just wait for Jesus to come. No, see, we're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. We are saved to be on mission. But the church, many times in America, Western culture, all across the world, has lost their first love. We have not gone after the Spirit's fire that fills us with the passion for mission. It's like I said last week, I think the greatest sin in the Western world is the neglect of the Holy Spirit. If you can sit in church for years and decades and never hear the the words, the Holy Spirit, that's neglect. We're not understanding the power that we are supposed to be filled with to go forward. It's constantly shame-based, like, you need to do this. If you're not doing it, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do, 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 do. The only thing that we need to do is surrender. And say, Holy Spirit, I can't do it. Jesus said it was better for him to leave so that we can have you. I want you. I want all that you have for me. I want more. I'm not just satisfied sitting in a pew. I'm not just satisfied thinking about all the things I could do on mission. But I want to be on mission. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I can be on mission. The third marker is the marker of miraculous gifts. The Spirit-filled believer is given miraculous gifts. Now we see this portion of Scripture, and many times it can be really confusing. Because a lot, of, a lot of folks will utilize this passage and say, well, the only evidence that the Holy Spirit has filled you is the speaking in tongues. Well, that, that, that's just not the case, right? That is not the case. That is called the evidence doctrine, and it's not correct. It doesn't have a good theological backing, and you can't really utilize Scripture or even this passage to make that true, right? But there are miraculous gifts that the Holy Spirit of God gives to us, which are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We see these beautiful gifts that the Holy Spirit pours upon us. We also see the beauty of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which we don't see in this Acts 2 passage, but we know about from Galatians 5, where Paul encourages the church to say, listen, here are the fruits of the Spirit. If they're not in your life, you're missing the Spirit as well. It's gifts and fruit. We should have both aspects in our lives, but we are given miraculous gifts. I don't even believe, like when I study this passage, I don't even believe that this is the gift of tongues with which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. I believe, as many commentators call it, the gift of languages. And it's a beautiful thing where God will give the ability to people who don't know a language to speak that language. And they don't even know that they're speaking that language most of the time. It's the gift of languages. And let me give a little bit of an explanation. There's a, a commentator, Pole Hill, that says it way better than I can. He says, much as in English, the Greek word glossa can refer to the physical organ of the tongue. It also has the metaphorical meaning of what is spoken by the tongue, spoken language. 
So here the lapping flames that had the visible likeness to tongues enabled the believers to speak in an inspired language. Not the holy language, but an inspired language. I do personally, as does the CMA, believe that the gift of tongues is for today. But I don't think that this is what that's talking about. If you read the passage in 1 Corinthians, the gift of tongues is different than this. It is a gift that's a prayer language, and it's also a gift that needs to be interpreted by another person who's gifted with interpretation. That's not what's happening. They get up and they begin to preach, and everyone hears them in their own language. The Spirit of God has given them the ability to go on mission to a people that they would never really be able to speak the heart language to because they don't know that language. But all of a sudden... They begin to hear the gospel message in their own language. And they're amazed. They're shocked by this. And you know what's really cool? Our missions movement, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, has seen this gift happen in recent days. Where some of our missionaries have gone into a mission field and they began to speak to indigenous people the language that they had never studied. And all of a sudden, they're witnessing in the mission of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel. And people are coming to save to salvation. And they go back into a, a, their, their normal base and they're like, hey, how did you, did, that's a different language. I'm like, Really? There's one story, this person was completely shocked. They had no idea that they were speaking a different language and there were several people that came to Christ in that, that group of people. God is still moving, amen? God is still working, amen? We need to expect and anticipate the miraculous to happen, the wondrous to happen in our days because he is still moving. Now, we see this passage where Peter says, in the, in the last days, this is a prophecy of Joel. He says, in the last days, we will see dreams, we will see signs, we will see wonders, we will see the beauty of prophecy happen. And he said, this is now the last days. Now, if that was the last days, I think we're in the last, last, last days. You know what I'm saying? And so if that was true for the last days, it's still true for the last, last, lastest, most last days. <laughs> right? That's us. We are still in the last days because Jesus has not what? He has not returned. And so we are still in the last days. And we are still to see these things happen. God is on the move. Healing is something that we see happen a lot, not just overseas, but here in America. I don't know if I told you this, but when we were at council, we had a healing service, and there were two people that were miraculously healed. One person who needed a cane, he was walking as a pastor. Like, this is not just, this isn't like Benny Hinn fake stuff, okay? This was legit. This happened, and it was a beautiful thing. This pastor came in with a cane. He had a really bad hip, and he couldn't walk, and at the healing service, he was prayed over, and he threw his cane in the air and started dancing, because he knew he felt he was healed. There was another person who had come in with a wheelchair and they didn't need it after they were prayed over. And our, our president brought the cane up and he brought the wheelchair up, the empty wheelchair, and said, look at what God has done. God is still moving. God is still doing the miraculous. God is still doing the wondrous. And we, we think that, it's, that, that, that this can't be possible. But it can be, and it should be. It must be, because we're in the last days. God desires to pour out his spirit upon us to see the beauty. Because with the spirit comes prophecy, visions, dreams, signs, and wonders. 
And we see that God says of himself, I am the same today, yesterday, and what? Forever. He didn't change. The mission of the church didn't change. The ways in which we are called to be the church didn't change. Because if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what he did then is to be done now. I fully believe this. I fully believe it and I have seen it happen. But remember, the Spirit's filling is for mission. It's not for ourselves. Too often we have seen the abuse of spiritual gifts. We've seen the abuse of these things where things have been falsified, where people have pretended, and we've stopped believing because, man, there's so much fake and stupid stuff that goes on. And so it has, it has hindered our, our ability to believe that it is possible. But we need to break off those false ideals and say, you know what, that's false prophecy. That's false stuff. God's got real stuff for today. These are things that we should be seeing in our lives. A.W. Tozer said, we already have enough promoters. We need prophets. We already have enough organizers. We need men and women who have met God in the crisis of encounter. He's like, so much of all church is just promoting something. But we need people to speak truth of God's word into the hearts of those who are dying. Prophetic truth is not just something that talks about the future. It's, it's for and forthtelling. Foretelling of the future, but also forthtelling. What is God saying? What is God doing for today? That's also prophecy. God is doing something. God desires to see the lost saved. Amen? And we are to be the people who are used by the Holy Spirit to do this. Let me just share with you, uh, in, even in our western Pennsylvania, this idea of the miraculous of, of signs and wonders and healings. In our western Pennsylvania Christian and Missionary Alliance, in the early days of the beginnings in the 1900s on into the 1940s and 1950s, our district had what was called the Divine Healing Committee where they would come and they would report at, the, uh, at our district uh, prayer conferences, which we still have every year. They would come and report to our district prayer conferences all of the divine healings that God had done in western Pennsylvania in the last year. Constantly, they would bring story after story of miraculous healing. And one year, I think it was 1925, which is the year that this church was planted, by the way. In 1925, there was a, a report that said that the greatest evangelistic movement in the western Pennsylvania area of the Christian Missionary Alliance has been through divine healing. That God has been healing people, and as they've been healed, they have been coming to Christ because they said, wow, this has got to be real. In my heart, I want to see God do that again. I want to see a wave of the Lord just moving in power, seeing people miraculously healed, going back to the roots of our calling as a, as a missionary movement there and here. And some of you might have remembered stories of what God has done. If you've been in the CMA for your whole life and you are in your 60s, 70s, 50s, you've probably heard these stories. God wants to do it again. I fully believe that. We need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit to allow him to use us and not use it for our own gain. The fourth marker that we can see is the marker of promise. And that's what I, this is what I say about that, that being filled is a powerful promise 
to God's people. We see over and over again in Luke, and we see over and over again in this passage, the usage of the word promise, that the Holy Spirit is a promise. Being filled is a powerful promise to God's people. See, every believer has the Holy Spirit, for He dwells within us, as we had said. However, not every believer is living the Spirit-filled life. There's more. Many of us just say, oh, I'm saved, and that's it. Man, there's so much more. There's so much more to the life that we have been called to as believers. A.W. Tozer once said, The Spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. The Spirit-filled life is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. This is a promise for us. This is a promise for us. And that's why when we read that passage It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This, what was happening, is a promise to them, to their children, and to us. That's powerful. This was a prophetic word thousands of years ago that was spoken over the church, the early church, the Middle Ages church, and the church in 2021. A promise that is powerful, that cannot be taken. I love what Tozer said also about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I never met a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit and didn't know it. You know there's a change in your life. You might not be able to define that that's a filling of the Holy Spirit, But when you feel that change and transformation, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. When you have a fire in your bones to proclaim the gospel, you know that that's the Holy Spirit. You can feel the move of God in your life. We might not have the vocabulary all of our lives, but we have had encounters as believers with the Holy Spirit. I was talking with someone even this morning. Well, how do I know that the God is speaking to me? Well, we walk in obedience. We test the Spirit as Paul challenges us to. And if it doesn't go against the Word of God, go after it. If you feel as you're driving, all of a sudden someone comes to your mind like, man, I need to call Pastor Mike. I need to encourage him today. And you call him up and you say, hey, Pastor Mike, you know, I really needed to encourage you today. I felt like God wanted me to say that. And he's like, wow, I needed that right away. I needed that today. Man, you know that was the Holy Spirit of God prompting you to do something that normally you wouldn't do. Maybe you don't have never called Pastor Mike, but all of a sudden it came to your mind. That's the Holy Spirit of God using you, speaking to you. We need to obey. We need to walk in obedience, and we will hear more and more the Word of God. We'll hear His Spirit speaking to us. It's like when you spend time with someone and you listen to their voice. All of a sudden, when you pick up the phone, I mean, we have caller ID right now, but you know, without caller ID, you could pick up the phone and know, you know what? That's Brian Gillenwater calling me. I love his voice. He does have a really great, sonorous voice, by the way. <laughs> love you. The Spirit-filled life is is part and parcel. It's God's plan. And the the next thing, the fifth marker, the fifth and final marker that we see is the marker of conversion. And we're going to really unpack more of this next week. But number nine, the final point, a filled believer has boldness in evangelism and sees the birth of new believers. A filled believer has boldness in evangelism and sees the birth of new believers. 
What I say when I, when I look at this passage, I don't say, you know what, tongues is the evidence. I see this boldness to proclaim the gospel. That there's a huge marker of seeing people come to Christ, seeing people bold in evangelism, planting the seeds that God would have them to plant. That's what I see in this passage. And we'll see over and over again in the book of Acts that when the Spirit of God fills the believers, they, we'll see again Peter and the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and they immediately go out and proclaim the gospel. It happens over and over and over again that there's this boldness for witness, this boldness in evangelism. And Wagner says this, he said anointed preaching, which is the bold preaching that Peter was, was proclaiming. Anointed preaching will reveal the points at which the Holy Spirit himself is doing the convicting. And this brings a positive response. As we are spending time with people, the Spirit of God will give us the words to say. Jesus promised this in John 14 and John 16 as well, that he will give us the words to say how to proclaim the gospel in specific moments to specific people. And that's when we are just coming alongside as co-laborers, as we are seen in the scriptures constantly, we are called as believers, co-laborers, where we work alongside of what God is already doing. And we walk in obedience and say what he tells us to say and live as he tells us to live as we wait upon his filling. And when that happens, we will see people come to Christ. We will see people come to Christ. Some soil is really hard. You've probably met people in your life where you're like, man, this person is never going to be saved. Right? I've, I've met people like that. But we're called to consistently speak the truth of God's word over and over again. This isn't part of the notes, but there was a, uh, a, a pastor who prayed his whole life for two unsaved friends. He was always praying for his unsaved friends. And he said, God, before I die, I want to see these people come to Christ. I want to see these people come to Christ. And he would consistently be used by the Spirit to speak truth over them. Well, about a year before he died, his one best friend came to know Jesus. And he celebrated. And he said, all right, God, it's time to do the next one. It wasn't until he died at his funeral when someone was proclaiming the gospel of the change that this pastor's life had, the transformation that the Holy Spirit had on his life, that his other best friend came to Christ. So you never know how long it's going to take. But we need to be obedient. And we will see Christ use us to draw people closer to himself. A filled believer has boldness in evangelism. There's no fear. We all have the same Spirit of God living within us. The things that the disciples did is they proclaimed the gospel with passion and desire and a burning fire. That's, we have that capability today. But too often we just rest and we're content. I pray that we don't remain content. That we see the new thing that the Spirit of God was doing in the early church and know that that is the thing that He is still doing. The Spirit of God still glorifies Christ, Amen. The Spirit of God still uses us to be missionaries to the world, amen? So let's walk in obedience. Let's see these marks in our lives today. The Spirit desires to use us to display these and many more wonderful markers of His touch on our lives. May we surrender to His Spirit and be used in mighty ways as individuals and as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you 
for the constant reminder that I can't do anything on my own. Man, I know myself, Lord. And I know that I could never do it. I thank you that you have sent the helper so that we can be bold in mission. May we wait. May we listen. May we trust. May we obey. And I do pray, Father, that we'll see a wave of people come to Christ in our church, in our workplaces. I pray, Holy Spirit, that if there are people in this room or watching online that have never received you, that today will be the day of their salvation. That they will see the need for this transformation, this fire in their lives. Make us new. Sanctify us through and through by the power of your Spirit. 